So we're continuing in our studies of Ursa Chuva Perik Gimel. And today, with Hashem's help, we are going to finish what we've now referred to a number of times as the Igeris HaTshuva. Rav Kuk wrote the first three prakim with his own pen. Now, the truth is, of course, he wrote the whole Sefer. But there are some first-timers here. And so we've pointed out a number of times that the Sefer Ursa Chuva is really a collection of the writings of Chuva that Rav Kuk had scattered throughout many different notebooks and his students and son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, put together uh, Urus HaTshuva. But the first three problems were a standalone work that Rav Kook referred to as the Igeris HaTshuva. And in each one of the first three problems, Rav Kook is kind of laying the foundations for his entire worldview of Tshuva. The first parak speaks about three different types of Tshuva. Tshuva, which is natural, which you don't need to be taught about. It just comes straight from a, a kind of an innate aversion to shortcoming, and that itself is split into two different domains. There's the physical, uh, natural tshuva, when a person overeats, or in some way oversteps the bounds of the way the body is supposed to be used. So there's a natural, there's a natural kind of rejection of that. Shalom, friends. Um, and then there's the, we're just doing review anyway, so you're good. It's been a few weeks, Hanukkah. And then there is the natural aversion to spiritual malady that a person knows from the time that they are in Gandina that, and, and maybe even before that when they're having little play dates with their friends before they even make it to Gan that when one kid comes over and steals a toy from another there's a natural aversion to hey, there's been an injustice here. Who taught the kid that? And yet we somehow know right from wrong already from, from, from birth almost. Then there's the tshuva emunis and the tshuva sikhlis, which is slightly higher levels where a person uh, learns to have faith in that which is written in the, in the, in the holy books and before that in the, in the words of the Nevi'im. And that is something which a person develops over time until they reach this third shlav, which is called tshuva sikhlis, where the embodied knowledge of, of kind of Jewish uh, way of looking at, at the shortcomings of the human condition becomes so... Uh, in other words, even things that I didn't necessarily, I wasn't born with these, but things that I learned along the way became so kind of mushrash in my way of looking at the world that they do become kind of like a second nature. And so that's a combination of the first. That was really the first part. The second part speaks about different ways of um, relating to tshuva on a temporal map. That is to say, tshuva on the level of um, a sudden shock to the system where a person has what's referred to in Rav Kook's language as tshuva pitomis, where all of a sudden, just like the whole, their whole world in an instant, like they're walking in a dark forest and there's a bolt of lightning and they can see things that they never saw before, shortcomings, and uh, not only shortcomings, but also you know, paths in service of God that they never even knew were there before, they never even dreamed possible, as opposed to the tshuva hadragit, tshuva hadragis, which is kind of this slow, gradual tshuva, the daily grind of kind of the day in and day out work of trying to develop ourselves. And the third parak, which is what we're in the middle of, last time that we were together, we began speaking about tshuva pratis and tshuva klalis. Tshuva pratis is this experience of recognizing. We spoke about last time how we tend to fall prey to the same averos over and over again. We have the same mistakes that we keep making over and over again. And uh, tshuva pratis, that's a separate thing, Tshuva pratis means that, you know, there's a, there's a certain sense that 
there's X number of things that I keep doing wrong. I keep losing my temper. I keep overeating. I keep speaking Lashon Hara. I keep missing Mincha, you know, with a minion or, or altogether. I keep this prod and that prod and these very specific things and there's like, I almost feel shackled by these very specific things. Tonight, which is maybe a much harder level to kind of tap into and maybe it's something that seems very far away from us. And at times we're working on tshuva pratis, we're working on these very specific types of avodos of we can, we can exactly pinpoint, oh my goodness, I'm doing it again. Doing that exact same behavior, or I'm using that exact same speech pattern, or I'm doing this exact same thought pattern. Again, I can't believe it, but I can I name the monster and I know what it is. And it's, uh, it's really something which is a day in a day out type of thing. There's another level of tshuva which, on the one hand, might seem like it's the avoda of great tzaddikim and sidkaniot. It's the avoda of people who have spent a lifetime perfecting themselves, where they can no longer kind of pinpoint a specific behavior that's, that's the problem. But it's this thing that's called tshuva stomis klalis. I feel in need of doing some general, we might relate to that in a second, that's not the orsa tshuva, but you have a good partner over there you can look on. The tshuva stomis klalis, which means this general malaise. This, when I look at my, and we're going to read this inside in a moment, but I'm just kind of trying to set the, set the, the stage here. When I look at my life, I'm checking all the boxes, more or less. Or at least right now, there's not a specific thing that I can like pinpoint and say like, you know, like I'm checking all the boxes. I'm davening three times a day. You know, I'm always, I'm always being careful to check the, 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 the labels on the foods that I buy. I never accidentally, you know, Shemitah right now and people have different uh, things. And I, you know, so I, I'm always careful with that. And I'm always careful with Binam Lechavir. I'm really trying with everything. But there's just this sense that I'm somehow on the outside looking in on Judaism. I'm like somehow kind of like I'm doing all the right things. I, I can't necessarily pinpoint a specific behavior thought or speech pattern that, that's wrong, but everything feels kind of plastic, not alive. It's like Pinocchio before he becomes a real boy. You know, it's like everything is there, all the pieces are there, all the parts are there, but there's just something about it which, tshuva stomis klalis, there's like this overarching magic that's missing from my, from my Avodos Hashem. And in fact, the truth is that Many times, many times, even when a person has specific things to work on, this Nakuda, which is really the last paragraph in this Igeris HaTshuva that Rav Kook is writing for us, this problem is something which is so pervasive and I would say plagues the entire Jewish experience uh, more heavily in our time than, than in any other time. Because Baruch Hashem, when we look around at the Jewish people, yes, there are no shortage of problems and assimilation is still a very big problem. But when we look around at those people who are involved in, in, in attempting to, to keep Torah and mitzvahs or attempting to be Shomer and Torah and mitzvahs, we've never had so many people learning. There's never been yeshivos like this. The Jewish people are back in Eretz Yisrael. We've never had so many options for kashras. We have so many different options for 
where to daven. And we have so many shiurim that we could go to and literally kola kula at our fingertips. Like I once heard from Rav Asher Weiss. Rav Asher Weiss said about our generation, he said, we've never lived in a generation where it was easier to become a Talmud Chacham, to become a Torah scholar. Men and women. But we've never, and this is the second, this was the very clever part he said, but we've never lived in a generation when it's been so hard to want to be a Torah scholar. Because there are so many, we literally have every language and every crutch and everything, and thank God for all of them, you know? But at the same time, to actually want to engage it in 3D and in full color is something which is uh, somewhat elusive. And so before we begin the words from Rav Cook, I just want to begin with a story that I heard so many years ago from my mentor, from my teacher, Rav Moshe Weinberger, Shlita, um, which he shared from the great Rebbe of Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. Now in my family, we have a tradition that we heard at several shivas, unfortunately, that's where we heard these things. But in, when people in the family from like my, from my, uh, my parents and uncles and aunts, the older generation, was sitting shiva for their parents when they passed away, so we uh, heard a tradition that perhaps in our family there is some direct blood from Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, that there's some... So I feel, I've always felt a certain affinity for his, his uh, style of Torah. This is a story more than, a, than Torah, but is a remarkable, a remarkable person who um, was very simple, who never sought to have any official rabbinic position, who was a... Um, who was an apothecary or some sort of pharmacist um, and didn't dress, you know, in particularly rabbinic attire, just kind of, and uh, used to go and hang out in the pubs and talk to the local people and try to be, inspire them to tshuva. And was a real man of the, following in the footsteps of the Yehudi HaKadosh, who was, the, who was really the one who, 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 what I just described is really apropos of the Yehudi HaKadosh, but Simcha Bunim is the one who this story comes from. But the whole, Indian of the Yehudi HaKadosh of Pshischa and of Simcha Bunim and this whole base medrash is really... Um, You've been to his shul. You've been to his shul? In Pshischa, yeah. If I'm not, kind of so Simcha Bunim, who was from this base medrash of the Yehudi HaKadosh, who was this simple, simple Jew who was inspiring people in this way, Simcha Bunim used to tell a story that he said, this story is the final story of the redemption. Now, that's a very bold thing to say. This is the story that will lead us into the final stretch of the redemption and take us to the end zone. And this is what he said. He said, once upon a time, there was a very wealthy Polish merchant. And he saved up, he, he was wealthy, but he didn't have stam, just waste money on. He had this, this idea, he wanted to buy this very, very fine uh, Italian stallion, this horse. That was very expensive and it was gonna have to be, you know, somehow transported and, just like the most thoroughbred horse you could ever imagine. And in Poland, this was a big hasaga, even for a wealthy man. And he bought this horse. Now, in preparation for buying this horse, he also built this state-of-the-art stable with all types of locks and, you know, all types of, it was Poland, there was not, no cameras or anything like that. But any, anything you could imagine, you know, triggers that would get if, if somebody tried to break in and all types of things, he built this unbelievable state-of-the-art stable. And he hired this, um, this fellow to sit in front of the stable and to guard the horse so that when he wasn't riding it or parading it or racing it or doing all the things that a merchant does with their horse, so it would be well protected. And he hired this uh, very, you know, accredited uh, showmare 
And uh, okay, he was all set up. The horse arrives and he has the whole Hachnasas uh, Sefer Torah for a horse type of thing that you would do for a Hachnasas Asus. Yeah. And the Hachnasus Sefer Torah, exactly. So he, he brings in this horse into his barn. It's a whole to do, and they lock it up, and he's very proud. And he goes to sleep that night very satisfied. And as he's in bed, he's like, he's like, I don't know, what if, what if the guard, you know, what if the guard fell asleep somehow? I, I, you know, he couldn't, couldn't sleep. So he, he gets out of bed and he puts on his robe and his slippers and he goes down in the, in the freezing cold and he goes down to the guard and he sees the guard is wide awake and he's very happy. And he says, tell me, tell me, how do you make sure to stay awake? I always wonder this. How do guards, how, how, do, they, how, do, they, how do they stay awake? And I, you know, you, you seem so alert. What are, you, what are you thinking about? So he said, to tell you the truth, he said, I was thinking, you know, when a person builds uh, you know, a home or builds something and they take a nail and a hammer and they, they knock the, the nail into the, into, the, into the wall and there's a hole there. But I was thinking, you know, what happens to the wood that was there where the hole was before, like, where did it go? You know, or into the wall, like, what happened to the ceramic? Like, how exactly, how does that work? And I was thinking about that. He says, oh, very good, it's very, it's very clever, okay, you know, thank you very much, and he goes back to sleep, and he sleeps the night, beautiful. The next night, he's ready, getting ready to go to sleep, and he's, he's tossing and turning, but he's like, I don't know, you know, what if he figured it out, you know, what if he figured out that when you press the hammer into the thing, the, the wood just gets compacted, and, you know, what if he figured it out, you know? So he, he puts on his slippers and his robe and he goes back down again and he says to the guy, he says, um, you know, wow, you're awake, oh, this is great. You know, what are you thinking about? Like, how are you, what are you doing? So he says, well, he said, I figured out last night's question. Tonight I was just thinking, you know, in all the stores here in Europe, they make these bagels, they make bagels. And there's a hole in the middle, you know. I was wondering, like, what do they do with all the extra dough after they punch out the hole? Like, what do they do with that dough? You know, he's, oh, very good. Is, back then? You know, and what do they? What do they? Yeah, Bob, in Eastern Europe for sure they have bagels. Say so what? You know, what, what do they do with the dough? So he's, oh, very good. I'm glad you're thinking about this. Okay, and he goes to sleep, and he has uh, the third night. Guy wakes up, and he's 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 tossing and turning. Can't go back to sleep. What if the guy fell asleep? He goes outside with his robe and his slippers, and he says, the guy's wide awake. He says, this is great. He said, what are you thinking about tonight? So the guard says, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking. You built this unbelievable stable with all these locks and you hired a guard. But what happened to the horse? Where did he go? How did he get away? And the guy says, oh, you know, he sees the doors are open and the horse somehow escaped. And, you know? So that's the end of the story. Or Simple Winham said, you know what this story is about? He said there's going to come a time in Jewish history, and believe you me, we've reached this time, and Rav Cook is talking about this, there's going to come a time in Jewish history, and even if each of us on our own individual level, we have things that we're working on in, in this tshuva pratis as well, there's going to come a time when we're going to look around and there's going to be yeshivas and there's going to be shuls and there's going to be a plethora of shuls and there's going to be all the kosher food we could ever want and every inspirational program and every kinesia of like, you know, Lashon Hara campaign and this and that. And we're going to have all of the trappings of everything. And we're going to be sitting there thinking, I don't understand, we have this huge stable and all these locks and all of the trappings, but what happened to the horse? What happened to like the the whole, what happened to the the soul of Yiddishkeit? What happened to like being, you know, I have Pinocchio, you know, I have hands and and, and feet and a head and, and a nose and I have all these things, but like, I'm not alive. There's something that's, I feel like one of these wax museum type of uh, Yidin. 
you know, and everything doesn't feel like it has the luster that it should. And that is what Rav Kook wants to teach us tonight about tshuva stomis qualis, about this general way of tshuva. So we'll begin to read Rav Kook a little bit. I also hope I mentioned this last time that I, I thought it would be kedai, if we have time, to, um, to read from an entry in which I made, made some source sheets and... and uh, Andy was kind enough to, or Kitty, I don't know who printed, who had pressed print, but somebody was kind enough to, to actually uh, press print. And so at some point in the middle, we'll, we'll pause to jump in. An amazing journal entry, like a diary entry from one of the great Hasidic masters. This is probably one of the most famous pieces. It could be that you've learned it before, or it could be that we've even learned it before together, I don't know. But it's Kadai in this context to learn. The Rebbe at the age of 40 is talking about how, like, I'm doing it all. There's nothing I'm not doing. I'm checking all the boxes. But there's something which is just missing, you know? And, uh, and so the, the piece, that's the Rebbe, the Rav of the Warsaw Ghetto. So Mir Sashem, in the middle, we'll jump in. We are now on the second paragraph in Perk Gimel, in Ursa Tshuva. You're welcome to look along with me if you don't have the sheet. You can look along there. Yeshna od hargashas ha There is a second kind of feeling of Tshuva. Here, let me help you find it if you didn't. Perk Gimel. And it looks like yours is broken up into like osios like that. Yeah. Her gimel. There you go. From no, not from the beginning. Go a little bit further. You see, there should be like a break somewhere where it says Vyeshna od hargasha satshuva. There you go. Vyeshna od hargasha satshuva. There is this other sensation of chuva, not like what we spoke about last time. The sensation of chuva that we had last time was the sensation of being shackled to these individual very uh, particular and able to be pinpointed uh, maladies. Here, there's a second feeling of tshuva, stamis klalis, which is stam. There's no, nothing, it's stam. It's, it's, it's very kind of like just overarching and not particular. And, uh, and it's, it's this ubiquitous feeling that like just is kind of like hanging on to me throughout my life. Ein chet shel avar, Olim alibo. I'm not particularly plagued by my mistakes of the past. It's not a pr- now. It doesn't mean that I've I've handled all the mistakes of the past. Sometimes we've uh, somehow squashed or um, shut out the mistakes of the past, and we're not thinking about those specific things. But there's not at this particular moment a specific chait or a group of chatayim of the past that are coming up into my heart. But just this general feeling, he feels just very trampled on, very just not connected. I just feel this sense of not a particular mistake, but I feel filled with, with imperfection. The light of Hashem is just not shining through me. I don't feel inspired. I don't feel like I want to give myself to, to my Yiddishkeit. It's like Rav Salvechik used to say, you know? It's like, he, said, he used to say this as, because Rav Salvechik really had his finger on the pulse of like, you know, Western culture and, and whether we grew up in, in, in America or South Africa or wherever we grew up. I don't know if I'm missing anyone. England. England. Uh, 
where England, of course. So wherever we grew up with this kind of like Western mentality, so Salvechik really had his finger on the pulse of this way of thinking, and he said, you know, the Western man, capital M, meaning the Western, the Western human, really would rather have davened mincha than be davening mincha. Like, I'd rather like know that like I, I did it already, you know, like I'll feel, you know, like that feeling of like, oh, I did it, you know, like I don't, I don't have the obligation weighing on me anymore versus like the Ruach, Nadi- the Ruach Nadiva Bikirva, like this inspired spirit of like, I want to daven mincha. And even though I- I'll say for myself, you know, as, a, as a, a person who really attempts to cultivate this sense of like wanting to do so, um, I catch myself all the time and I, and I do it on purpose. And already in, in, our, in our home, it's like a, a running kind of joke between me and the kids because like I, I really try to catch myself. But if I say like, oh, I have to, I have to run out to daven mincha. I need, I need to daven mincha. And then like, I'll, I'll catch myself because at this point I'm like training myself to do it. I'm trying to cultivate this. It's like, I don't need to daven mincha. Like I get to daven mincha. You know, I'm going to daven mincha. I have the opportunity to daven mincha right now. But that all comes from this spirit of, and I'm davening mincha every day. But what Rav Kook here is talking about is the difference between when I feel like I'm davening mincha every day, but do I need to daven mincha or do I get to daven mincha? That's the difference between having reached a certain level of tshuva. And, and by the way, this is all obviously be'erichin. This is all a relative, you know? So it could be that one person's tshuva klolis is another person's, you know, like, I wish I was on that level. You know, like they say this story from Naftali of Rapshitz that he was one time, Rosh Hashanah time, he was walking down to the, maybe you even said this story last time, I was thinking about this story recently, a lot, that he, he, he went down to, he was on his way down to Tashlich and he saw that his Rebbe, Rav, Rav Eli Melech of Lezhensk and the whole Chevra over there who were with Rav Eli Melech were on their way up from Tashlich. He had, he had you know, missed the, the first round, I guess. And he was like on the way down and Rav Eli Melech saw Rav Naftali coming down towards the river as they were all heading up. And he said, hey, Rav Naftali, where are you going? You missed, missed the, whole, the whole show. You know, we, we all went down and, and where were you? We missed it. So he said, oh no, Rebbe. And he had a good sense of humor of Naftali Rapshitz. He had uh, quite a sense of humor. He was known for having a sense of humor. He was, a, he was kind of a hefty fellow. And he used to say, the reason I'm so big is because my, the jokes come so quickly, I can't get them out fast enough. They just kind of like blow up like that. So he was like a funny, he had, he had a funny sense of humor. So he said, he said, oh, Rebbe, he said, I'm not late. He said, I was waiting till the Rebbe threw away all his Averis because I'm going to collect all those Averis because what the Rebbe calls Averis, I call those mitzvahs. You know, the Rebbe's level of what he calls Averis, his shortcomings are my like best day, you know? Mm. So, so, you know, it's all the Erechen, it's all relative. But in a general sense, this feeling of I need to daven her or I wish that I had already daven so I could feel like I got rid of that. There's not a, a Ruach Nadiva Bikirbo. The sense of... of, of Indeed, we need to. We do need to, but we also get to. You know, it is an op- it, it, uh, it's actually interesting because we, we, I, I don't know if we've mentioned this before in this context, but one of my favorite teachings I come back to all the time is a, is a teaching from the Maharal. Where the Maharal says that there are three places in the Torah where the Torah does not say as a command to do a particular uh, action, but rather it says, Im, if you're going to do this, then this is how you should do it. So for example, it says, Im mizbeach avanim ta'aseli, if you are going to build me a mizbeach made out of stones, don't make them gazit. Don't make them as, with cut stones. Don't take a, you know, the shamir and this mythical worm and all these different things to the specific ways of building the mizbeach, but don't build it with cut stones. So Rashi quotes that from Rabbi Yishmael, from the Medrash, that why does the Torah say, if you want to build a mizbeach, there's a mitzvah to build a mizbeach. The same thing, the Pasuk says, im kesef talveh ami. 
if you will lend money to my people, then don't charge uh, neshech, don't charge uh, interest. But, but there's an obligation to, to charge, uh, there's an obligation to, to lend money. What do you mean if you're going to lend money? If you have the means, then, then you must. And if you don't have the means, then you, then you do not have an obligation. And similarly, it says, im minchas bikurim, Takriv. If you're going to bring the minchas bikurim, then you should bring it in such and such a way. But there's a mitzvah to bring these things. So Rashi says that there are three places in the Torah where the Torah says if, but it means when. And so the Maral says, but the Torah knows how to say when. The Torah says, you know, the Torah gives commands all over the place. The Torah knows how to lay out a good command. So what's with this if business? Why is it giving it as if it's our choice? So the Maral says, because there are certain things in life that a person ought to do as if it's their choice, as if they're giving. If a person comes to Hashem and says, I don't really want to daven. I don't really want to bring a korban. Let's go to the examples. I don't really want to build a mizbeach where I can like, patch up mistakes that I've made, but I have to, so I'm going to do it. Or imagine somebody comes to borrow money from you and you say, I don't really want to help you, but the Torah says I have to, so I'm going to do it in this way. Right? There are certain places where we just recognize that a person who lends money to the friend, even though they don't want to, is not as great as a person who feels the spirit of nadivus of really wanting to help the person. And so for these three, which I, w- I would like to argue, it's not the time to go into this now, but I would like to argue that each of these three is kind of like an archetype for one of the three different areas of serving God. The Mizbeach is like the archetype of Ben Adam al-Makum. Lending money is Ben Adam al-Chavero. The Minchas Bikurim, which is effectively, is Bikurim is all about Hakar Satov, which is really, Hakar Satov is something that is Ben Adam al it's really being Makir Tov. Like Moshe Rabbeinu had to be Makir Tov that he was saved by the Nile River, not because the Nile River was getting anything out of it, but because Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to appreciate what he had gotten, to really appreciate, he needed to be able to experience it. So each of these is kind of a, kind of this archetype, you know, principle that really is supposed to inform all of our Vodas Hashem which is a very good point that you're saying, which is, of course, we need to do it. But how wonderful it would be if we were able to do it in a way as if, we, as if, as if this was such a far-fetched thing to do, that we would be able to serve Hashem in such a way with such excitement that we're like, excited to do it. You know? like, we're we're like, happy to, to be doing the things that we're doing. We're excited to, you know, like to do these things. It comes from that Pesach, led Tahor Brali Lokim, like the asks God, to create in him like the purity of heart. So, like, he, he, he asked for, like, in other words, it's not something that comes naturally. It's something that a person has to like long for and aspire to really be able to get there. And he uses the same wording here, lev tahor. Right. And it's really true. It's really true. Lev tahor brali lokim, ruach nachon. And ruach nadiva, like that made me think of that. So. It's really true. Like, you know, how, how much work a person has to put into their... Shabbos, or into their davening, or into their chesed, to really get to a place where it starts to feel alive and colorful, and and you know, and sometimes it comes. By the way, and we'll talk about this also. Sometimes it comes through kind of like mistakes in 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 like in our in our way of serving Hashem. Sometimes it comes through years of like drudgery in just doing it because we need to, until finally we're like, this is crazy. I've been doing this because I need to for so long. When am I going to do it because I want to? And that feeling itself is tshuva. That feeling of what is, what, why is there this like uh, muted tone over everything that I'm doing, you know, in my relationships with, with my family, in my relationships with, with my, with, with, with the Rabboni Shalom, you know, what, what, what is it that's holding me back? Those feelings are so precious. That's part of 
this general tshuva stomis klalis. Libo atum, the heart just feels stuffed. Midosa v'tchunos nafsho eno holchos b'derech ha'yishara v'haretzuya. The, the general affect of my soul, it doesn't go in a straight path. It doesn't go in the way that I wish. I always feel like I'm forcing myself, you know? I'm forcing myself to do these things. This is, this is my simbolism. And, and I don't think Rav Cook would be like, would, would be suggesting to us that if we don't feel particularly inspired, then ah, just, if you're not feeling it, then don't do it. Rav Cook is saying that, no, how proud we should be of ourselves. We're pushing ourselves and we're forcing ourselves and we're, we're doing it and we're checking all the boxes. And we're davening the proverbial minchas, but, but we're schlepping, we're schlepping ourselves. And therefore it feels like it's not going in the derech yishar of haritsuya. This is not the way that I feel like a person of pure soul, like Kitty just said, that, we, that there's a sense of tahara which is missing from my, from my service of God. Haskalaso higasa. His, his conceptions of Judaism or her conceptions of Judaism are also gasa, they're thick. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, tell me your thoughts on, you know, tell me your thoughts on, I keep picking on Shabbos, but tell me your thoughts about Shabbos. What is Shabbos? Explain to me. You know, it's like one of those, you're sitting on a plane next to somebody who doesn't know. Tell me, what is this Shabbos business? Or someone says to you, they see you, you're sitting on the plane, and they see you moving your lips before you put some food in your mouth. You just came back from the, from the bathroom, and you're sitting down, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, I'm making a blessing over. I say, could you explain that to me? And you're like, it's like a tradition, like something that we do. It's like, you know, it's like this thing. It's haskalaso higasa. Our, our, our way of doing things is, is uninspired. It's like, why, why, why are you doing that? It's just like what we do. It's what we do, you know. Without being able to like really, you know, express profoundly. Not, not because you're a great orator, but because you feel it's just with a certain sense of passion that, what you're doing is is remarkable and is is um, is special and is unique, and is bringing something to the world. Rig shotav meor vavim bekadros v'tzimaon shemaor lo gaul ruchani. Arav Cook is very hard to translate. Rig shotav his his feelings meor vavim they're they're all mixed up they're all they're all befuddled. Bekadros v'tzimaon with darkness again from that word kadar like a. Uh, like a like a pottery like you know like dark like a person who's a, a black pot you know that's like when the, one of the insults in the Talmud is they call somebody a black pot you know it means like a darkened you know it's been over overly used you're just worn out you know we're actually in our family we just um, uh, Moradina knows uh, Yonatan hasn't been there for a little bit we my, we had a simcha in the family and my wife took the kids to America for the simcha and on the way back so. As the Navi Zechariah says, Chemdat Kol Agayim, you bring all the, all the good stuff from the, na- from the nations. So my wife came back with a whole new set of, uh, of, potter, of, of, of pots, of like cookware. And um, so, you know, we were, I offered some young couples who, you know, are in Israel, just if they, instead of putting it in the trash, you know, it's, it's pretty good. It's just, what's, what's the problem with it? It's worn out, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's, it doesn't have that luster that it had when we first, uh, when we first bought it. You know, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit peeling, a little bit, it's been washed and scrubbed one too many times. And it didn't have that, uh, it's kadros, it's darkened because it's been overly used. And a person sometimes starts to feel that way. 
You know, you feel just like burnt out. You feel overly used in your Avodah Hashem. And you're like, and why do I feel that way? Because like I'm doing it all. There's a certain thirst, an unquenchable thirst, which leads me to, be, to feel a certain depravity of, of the soul, a certain depravity of my spiritual... I'm, 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 slightly, I'm slightly disgusted by the need to like another day of, of in, being in the trenches in, and, and, you know, being honest and being earnest and, and, and refocusing my kavana and davening just for the millionth time. Fook says he feels embarrassed of himself. He feels embarrassed by this level. Like, Ashamed, yeah. There's a certain sense of shame. Now that already is a very holy thing. That's already a very holy thing. Shame means that I recognize that this is not this is not befitting of me. I feel somehow distant from Hashem. Again, all of these things are not because of a particular avera. It's just this sense. Vizos he it certainly resonates with me. I hope I hope meaning I hope it doesn't resonate with you. But I hope that on the occasion that this does happen. He's describing it so beautifully, so, so aptly. This for him is more, this, this overarching problem is the greatest anguish, is the greatest disappointment. It's, it's much worse than being able to pinpoint, you know, oh man, I, I missed, another, missed another benching. 72 minutes elapsed and I... I just, I got distracted. I was working from home and I got distracted and I, I missed benching again for the umpteenth time, you know, in this, uh, in, this past, in this past six months. So that, it's like, okay, like I know what I have to do. And this is a chita yoser ayum. I just feel like something is burnt out, you know? It, it could also, by the way, dare I say, this could also happen in, 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 in relationships, you know? It's like doing everything. Like, don't have, my rabbi talks about this all the time. You know, he, he deals with this a lot more than I do. But it's like, am I not doing, am I not, don't I take out the garbage? Don't I make a good paycheck? You know, don't I, uh, don't I take care of the kids? Don't I uh, fold all the laundry? Don't I, whatever the particular jobs in a particular house that, how things are allotted. Like, don't I make sure that everything, are there not three cooked meals every day? Is, is that not something that happens? But there's just this sense of like, whatever was there, it, it, the magic of, of that divine touch that was there, it somehow, it, 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 it ebbed away. And it can't, comes back and then it ebbs away again. But that feeling of this more klali type of thing, it, it's, and everybody knows, everybody knows, by the way, that when, let's say, to use this, this example, when in a relationship, that, un, in, that intangible is there, but you forgot to take out the garbage, or you forgot to pay that bill and, you know, or something much more, you know, drastic than that happens. But the, but the baseline relationship is there. Okay, that's, it was a chet. We got to clean it up. We got to, you know, say sorry and you fix it. And, but but the, the biggest thing is if all the things are being checked off and everything is kind of cool and nobody's doing anything that's particularly egregious, but, but there's just something's gone missing. And that's, and there's a certain busha in that. There's a mitbayesh, humeatzmo. It's like, what happened? But Rav Kook says, this is the beginning of healing. This is the beginning of just being able to acknowledge it and say like, 
Kacha, that's what it is. Mitmar Merhu, Alatzmo, he begins to mumble and to grumble about his lot. Enomotzi manus mipach mokshim shalo, she'en lo tochin miyuchad. There's nothing particularly animating. You know, he's saying a lot the same thing in, in different ways, but it's touching, at least for me, it's touching like these different uh, nerve points. Rakhu kulo kemo nosun besad. It's like a person who's completely trapped in uh, sadim or like uh, handcuffs. You're like uh, you, you can be been completely cuffed. Let's pause there for a second and look at this piece from the Piazetzner. Let's see what time it is. We're good. Let's pause there because now he's gonna, then he's going to flip it around and he's going to tell us what the tshuva feels like. That was like super heavy. Wow. Um, so now I wanted to just uh, complete the picture with a journal entry from the Piazetzner in his Sefer Tzav Viziros. This is a remarkable document. Um, this particular document, but really the whole book. It's a very small, it's a tiny little piece of a piece of a Sefer. I've mentioned this before in other... Shira. Um, famous, this is the whole thing. The Pizetzner wrote a sefer called Eish Kodesh, which are drushos that he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto to desperate Jews who were just hanging on for dear life, literally. And these were his Shabbos drushos. <laughs> That's pretty unbelievable. He wrote a very uh, well-known sefer that was before the Holocaust, you know, when the Rebbe was this like big, he was like... He was the go-to guy. You were having trouble, trouble with Chinuch. He was the, you know, he was the guy to go to. So the Rebbe wrote a book called Chovat HaTalmidim, Chovat HaTalmidim, which is um, a book for kind of like the Chovat HaTalmidim, the student's obligation, what, what, what one can expect from teachers and from students in terms of training youth to be a person who is really fully engaged. Um, he wrote a bunch of other Sfarim as well. And this particular Sefer Tzavazir is together with Eish Kodesh and a number of his other works, which were written in the Warsaw Ghetto. And there are some very painful pieces in here. He talks about the loss of his son um, and some, some other really tragic events that are all in this like kind of diary of a Hasidic Rebbe. We don't really have anything like this in all of... A uh, little bit Likute Diburim from the Friedrich Rebbe in Chabad. But we don't really have anything quite like this. It's pretty remarkable. He hid it in a milk canister um, and buried it under the ground in the hopes that somebody might find it one day. And after the war, there was a construction worker, a non-Jewish construction worker, who came across it. And he wrote in German, uh, if you find this, please send this to um, Elimelech, which is the name of his brother, um, um, Shapira, and give an address in Palestine, as I said, and Kachava, and it was sent to him. And now we have the, uh, the books, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. And we actually have pictures as well. Um, there's a few biogra- wonderful biographies. There's a biography called Holy Fire, which is Eish Kodesh. Holy Fire, but it's a biography of, of the Pizetzner. And in there, there's some amazing pictures of like the milk canister and finding it. And it's like, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. What do these words mean? Okay, so we got cut off in the middle. There's one called. You were explaining this. Yes. Part. So the Tzav Zeruz uh, literally means, that's the Rebbe's book here, literally means a last will and testament, basically. It means a, a command and a behest. <laughs> what is a behest? A behest is some sort of uh, a last will so to speak. Um, he did not name the book, I don't believe, himself, but he does refer to Tzav Vazeru's uh, in the book at some point, and so I guess that became the title of the book. So he writes the following. Baruch, he's writing this in the Warsaw Ghetto, uh, I believe, although we could probably clarify that based on he's uh, reaching the 40th year of his life, so we could just work it backwards and figure out exactly what year it was. 
ברוך השם, נכנסתי כבר בשנס ארבעים לימי חיי. Thank God I've already reached, I've entered into the 40th year of my life. בעוד איזה חודשים אהיה, אם ירצה השם, בן ארבעים שלמים. When another few months pass, I will be 40 years old. You know, לגמרי. I'll reach my 40th birthday. זוס אומרס, that means to say שכבר יתחילו הימי הירידה שלי. I'm already on the, I'm already on the downward slope. וכבר אתחיל להזדקן. I'm already starting to get old. I'm starting to notice some gray hairs in the beard. Um, I am 37, so this, this, and some of you are not. 37, but you're older than me. So, am I the youngest here? I might be the youngest here. I'm 36. 36. So, Libi Yira V'yifached. My heart is slightly uh, scared. Lomen halichas shnosai kol kachani mefarkes. I'm not scared about the passage of, of time. I'm not particularly scared that like, oh no, I've lost all this time. Ki l'kach l'tzarti. That's the way of life. You know, time passes and you get older and what I'm more concerned about is the poverty of my years, how I've spent my years. Like I said before, the Rebbe is of Eros, the Rebbe is Dalas, Reikos, Shiflos, and Katnos, Halavai. You know, one day of my life I should serve Hashem like, like the Rebbe was. It's just been uh, impoverished. Speaking to himself. How many days of your life already passed? And now, as the body is starting to wane in its strength, now you're remembering to do tshuva. Am I really certain with myself that the feeling that I have right now, this general feeling of wanting to do this right, am I really certain that this feeling is not itself going to fade? How many other times Again, he's writing in this journal. How many other times in my life did I have this feeling? That I had this hope and this, this feeling of wanting to be better. And what happened to those in the end? What was, what was the end of that? Like a snowy, uh, you know, like a snowy day, a few days later, it all melts away. I remember before I was bar mitzvah, before I got married. I felt this sense of, wanting to be better, of strengthening myself. And I said to myself then, for sure now I'm going to be an Eved Neman Lashem. Only Hashem. Who knows when I'm 43, 44, 45, already, this feeling will also fade. This fear together with the hope, it will disappear and will become nothing, God forbid. And there'll be no remembrance of the Rishonim. V'gam la'achronim. Aval al na'atya Now, this will be the good lead-in to Rav Kook is going to tell us. But I will not be misyayish. I will not despair. But od libi mizdazeyam in shnas arbayim, as long as my heart is still trembling from reaching my 40th year, asher lenegdi, which is coming, upcoming. Umin reishis hazikna, in the beginning of my old age, hakrov alai, evarai dalidan nakshin. My limbs are knocking against each other. Anasel yitazer, and I'll try to gird myself to, to take upon myself to attach myself with a real tight knot and all of that and maybe, maybe I'll be successful. What should I, what should I bring upon myself? To, to learn more? And here you'll really feel what Rav Kook was saying before. What should I do? Should I learn more? I'm not wasting large swaths of time. 
to distance myself from from Taivo Solom Hazeh. Im ein Yitzri Merameoti. If I'm not tricking myself, Baruch Hashem ein Eni Meshubad Kol Kach Taivo Skufanios. Chas v'shal. If I'm not tricking myself, I'm not so uh, stuck in my Taivas. Uma Chaserli. So what am I missing? And here, listen. This is exactly what Rav Kook has been describing. Uma Chaserli. What am I missing? Pashut Liyos Yehudi Chaserli. I just want to be a Jew. I'm like a beautiful painting of a person. Everything's in it. Hagavanim, the colors. Hatsura, there's even like a three-dimensional, you know, component to it. There's just one thing that's missing from this clay, wax person, and that is a soul, an animated soul. Rabbonu Shalom, who's able to see all hidden things. I admit to you and I implore you. I'm very far from you and from any, um, any palace where you reside. I just want to convert to Judaism. Now, the Rebbe was born from a Jewish woman and did not need to convert to Judaism. I just want to convert to now be a Jew for the first time. Osani v'chalbi. Don't let me just... My, my, yeah, don't, don't just let me, let me spend the rest of my days amongst my, my donkey and my, and my dog and all the other household pets and just, you know, go, go one of the old guy with all his, surrounded by his animals. Bring me deeper and deeper into your, the chambers of your palace. Kosherosi, Ksharosi, and let me be attached to you in the sense of expansiveness, in the sense of really being connected to you. So this is exactly, exactly what Cook is describing here, this feeling of feeling distant and feeling a certain sense of, I'm doing all the right things, I'm doing all the right things, but somehow there's just something missing. Now, all of those feelings are healthy. That means that there's healthy tissue, which is feeling like it needs to be brought back to its, its proper state. And so, Rukhuk, did you want to say? I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't. No, I just said, this doesn't sound like it was during the, the ghetto. It sounds like it was before. Just from the way he wrote it. You're saying it's too focused on, like, his avoda, like... Yeah, I think the, just the, the experience must yeah. have been so horrendous that it intensified. Right. God suddenly was very, very real. Right, right. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It could be. I mean, this, this definitely spans, you know through before the war and during the war. Uh, the Rebbe was, was taken to his death in Maidanic, I believe, at a very young age. So, coming back to Rav Kook, so Rav Kook says, all of a sudden what happens? He's complaining and he's, mitoch meriris nafshazu, from this place of bitterness. Just a few more minutes. Mitoch meriris nafshazu, it's like a, a bandage of a faithful of a faithful doctor. What a, what a long sentence. So that feeling of tshuva, with the depth of its understanding, which is relying on the, on the greatness of the depths of the person's soul, which is hidden within his nature, 
which is in the deepest chambers of the Torah, Amuna and the and and the Mesora, the Maseris, the Mesores, right? Basically, he's he's referring back to what we learned in in the first chapter, that all these different levels of tshuva, those which are deeply buried within his nature, and those which are deeply buried within Torah and Amuna and, and the Mesora, is a remis nafsho. All of a sudden, he's just inundated with this feeling of like enough, I'm finished. I just, meaning I'm finished with this, I, I, I want it to be real, I want it to be alive. And he starts to believe, he starts to have faith, strong faith, in the ability to heal. He's not, um, she is not, he is not, we are not uh, anymore given to this sense of like, I'm just going to be like this forever. That's it, that's how it's going to be. I'm never going to actually feel the full color spectrum of what it means to serve Hashem with great joy. From that feeling of this is never going to happen, all of a sudden he has bitachon in the refuah. He says, you know what? There's a way out of this. I feel a certain sense of, of uh, a, a renaissance of my, uh, uh, you know, a so to speak, of my, of my soul. Moshita l'chol advekimba. Tshuva reaches out his hand. It's Moshit yado to those who are willing to cling to her. Ma'avir alav ruach chayin v'tachnunim. And a certain pleasantness starts to descend upon the person. Ki'ish asher imo t'nachamenu kena nochi anachemchem. Like the Pasuk says in the Navi, like a, like a person whose mother is menachem them, kain anochi anachemchem. I also will be menachem you, says Hashem. What's, what's, what's this Lashon of, like, a, well, first of all, if Cook here is referring to the fact that Tshuva, very much, certainly in the writings of, of Kabbalah, is very much related to this feminine aspect, or to the, it relates to the concept of Bina, Bina, the Shachamishim Shari Bina, the ability to do Tshuva. But even without getting into anything particularly deep at 9.30 at night, when we started a little bit late, and we're struggling to go through a very difficult piece from Rav Cook here, even without that, everybody could relate to the idea of this sense of uh, feeling like everything is going to be okay when you're being held in the mother's arms, when the mother is able to co- convince a child or is able to convince a person that it's, gonna be, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be... Uh, you know, I don't want to get too personal here. I mean, I do want to get too personal, but I, but I want to watch the time. But when I was going through my own little mashber there with... Um, with, uh, with two years of uh, intense treatment for, for uh, Oso Machla, as people refer to it. So I used to go to the hospital. I mean, my wife was taking care of our kids. And my mother was regularly, you know, driving me back and forth from the hospital. And there was such a comfort of just being there with my mother, you know. Something that no one else in the world could offer. To, uh, the, the, the feeling of a mother, that it's going to be okay. And that is tshuva. Tshuva is this feeling that it's going to be okay. You're going you're gonna to be able to break through and, and, and actually enjoy a tefillah one day. You know? You're going to really enjoy this, this next tefillah that's coming up. You're going to not rush to look. Is Shabbos over yet? Is it over yet? Is it, I can't tell. Is it three stars? Is it over? I need, I need, a, I need this to be over. You know? There's going to come a time when the, when the mother of tshuva comes and says, you know what, sweetie? You're pushing and you're pushing and I know you're exhausted you know, there's a sense of kaderos. You're like a blackened pot. You're overused and you're over, you've, you've overdrawn your balance in terms of your spiritual, you know, bank account. But 
tshuva comes like a mother and is menachimas. Margishu, person starts to feel bechol yom v'yom shover love every single day that passes over him. Paskamas tshuva ilava kolalis zu. As this tshuva begins to uh, percolate, hargashaso nasis yoser betucha. He feels more and more uh, sure. Yoser mechuveres, more clear. More mechuveres means more widened, more you know freed of that of that dark state. Yoser muara baor hasecha. The mind starts to. To, to be clarified instead of that gasus hasecha that we felt before. Yoser misba'eres al pi Torah. And it's more clarified according to the Yisodiyah Torah because in the combination, again, this is Rav Kook, like really waxing super poetic in the last three lines before he finishes his Yeres HaTshuva. But, you know, all of these different pieces, the tshuva of, of your natural in- instinct and what you've learned throughout your whole life and those moments of when you met a, a tzaddik or you had an experience that, or, or a terrifying experience that just was like, boom, I got to do this better. And all of those things come together, al pi and the slow, gradual you know, progression, all these things come together, and then he starts to become illuminated, the face of anger that he had before, that sour face that he had starts to be changed. Or a certain sense of ratzon, of desire, to, to, like we said, to want to daven, to want to keep Shabbos, to want to keep kosher, to want to do all these things, to want to be charitable, to want to have a good, uh, uh, you know, patience with the kids. Enav mismalos eish kodesh. His eyes start to be filled with a wondrous fire. Levavo, eish kodesh, look at that. Levavo kulo nitbal benachle adanim. His heart starts to flow and to, to immerse itself in in, in these springs and like, a, you know, his heart dips itself in the mikvah, basically. And holiness and purity starts to, to, to hover over him. A great love, a never-ending great love fills his whole spirit. Becomes thirsty for Hashem, but not in the way that we felt before. Thirsty in a way that was, you know, this impossibly uh, parched feeling of something that can't be, but a, a thirst, a real thirst, a, a healthy thirst. Like a bell, yeah? yeah. He starts to feel that his, his, his averos have been somehow uh, erased, uh, ex, ex, you know, done away with. Hayodim she'enam yodim. Sorry, those sins which are known and those sins which are he doesn't even know about. Those things he's long forgotten about. Like a brand new creature. He becomes like a whole new world and the whole world is mischadish together with him. And everything starts to sing. The delight of God fills everything. Tshuva is the great healer of the world. And even if a single person does tshuva, he receives forgiveness and the entire world together with him. Okay, we will pause there. In Mirz Hashem, Hadran Olach, Perek Gimel, Hadran And in Mirz Hashem next week, we'll start Perek Dal, which is really, uh, I hope it's interesting. Also, you see that the first three prakim don't have uh, letters. I don't know if you can see that. When you, when you go to the next chapter, you'll see there's an Aleph Beis, there's Sifim. And that's because these are individual little, you know, these were like, real magnum opus type things that the Rav Cook was writing. The next things are shorter ideas. So if, if everyone...
is so inclined, then next week we will continue with the Sefer Rosh Tshuva, even though all we committed to was just doing the Iger Tshuva, and we will we'll go in, in, into the actual Nikudot uh, of Tshuva. That was all introduction of Rav Kuk, bringing us into the world of Tshuva. Like exactly, yeah. exactly. He was laying the, the groundwork, like and now... Yeah, he was, he was letting us feel like a glimpse of, you know, the way, the way I always uh, said it, you know, in the future that we had so far, is Rav Kuk here in the Iger Tshuva is is showing us the, the puzzle box, you know? He's showing us, like, the finished picture of the puzzle, and then he's going to take all the individual pieces and, you know, help us put it together so that we can, so that we can actually do this and feel this, Mitzvah Okay, we should be zuchah. Yeah, my head round a lot.